0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Sobriety Diaries. I'm your host Nate Kelly, a recovering alcoholic seven years from my last drink, a recovery mentor and podcast producer. I am so grateful to be bringing you these powerful stories of recovery told by you, those who live them. Please share this podcast with anyone who may need it today. And with that, Let's open the diary on episode 92 of the Sobriety Diaries. I am here with my new friend, Jen Hurst. Jen, I've been chasing you down for a minute. We're both early risers. We were chatting about the calm and beautiful early morning that we both love so much. So you said you're around 430, 440 riser?
1: 440. <laughs> I've never, never, ever been a snoozer, except maybe when I was drinking. Right, same. I would snooze. Till noon, probably. Right. <laughs> but now it's never snooze. It's like alarm
0: up and awake. You know, I tried to snooze, but when I was drinking, I always had that fear and nervous energy. So I would try to snooze, but never really fall back asleep. And it, it was just a mess. But now that is my favorite time of the day. I love it.
1: That's actually our topic. And my membership is morning routines, because I really believe your tomorrow self starts the morning before how are you taking care of yourself? What work are you doing on yourself and kind of creating that energy for yourself that you'd like to have throughout the day? So instead of waiting till 8 p.m., do that right away in the morning. Instead of waiting, 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 and you're kind of on this reactive, be proactive about taking care of yourself about the most important things. Because when you do that, you can reap the benefits all day. That's why I say any movement is better than no movement. But if you can get that in first thing, you get to reap the benefits of the improved mood, the energy, making better decisions because you took the time to take care of yourself throughout the day. So when it gets to that 8 p.m. hour, you're not just so depleted. You're actually fueling your day first thing to show up as your best self throughout the day. So I fully value The importance of morning routines for people in recovery and people in general of if you're waking up when your kids get up, you're on defense. It's all about being on offense and being intentional with your morning so you can be intentional with your day.
0: So true. Yeah. I I like to allow myself that time to set the intention and to sort of welcome the day in, in a non-hectic sort of calming way. I do my meditation then. And to your point, the intention of your day, what things do I need to accomplish? And there's nothing better than crossing something off my to-do list. And yes, (laughs) are you a a paper and pen, like old fashioned? yes. Yes. I love
1: it. I have to-do lists for my to-do lists. Like <laughs> I have kind of three to-do lists. I have my master, I have my daily, and then I have my top three. So I just tried to get hyper-focused on what's the most important thing to get done. But that way, I can keep track of everything that's going on in my mind. So then I can take care of and accomplish the things that need to get accomplished. And when you do cross things off, this is why I fully believe in the power of habits and a physical tracker of crossing things off, you feel accomplished. You're like, hey, even if it's like for my dogs, for instance, giving them their dog medication. I'm like, oh my God, I yes. did all three of Dewey's eye drops and I did it. <laughs> yes. I feel so accomplished. Or I agree. You can be as simple as making your bed every single morning. It's such a powerful tool to get started of if you, and there's that really popular YouTube video Mm. of if you can make your bed for the day, what else can you accomplish? And I know we were talking about this snooze button before, but if you hit the snooze button, you're already putting your needs last. You're already not accomplishing something by not intending. If you intend to get up and you hit the snooze button, you're already not fulfilling that and accomplishing that that's why this news button is such such a huge thing to really try to work on not doing
0: yeah it's like delaying your first action of the day is delaying something that could be taken care of immediately. And then sort of piggyback and and add making the bed to it. It's an accomplishment within the first two, three minutes of your day. And it really sets a tone. It seems minimal. And, and, you know, you may not think that it has that much impact, but do it for a week or two, and, and you will feel that sort of sense of accomplishment in the first minutes of your day.
1: Absolutely. And every single time you go and you walk through by your bedroom, you're going to see a made bed. Yes. And it's going to just bring a sense of calm. And I know it. Yes, it sounds simple, but it is so, so effective. They actually had us do that in treatment every single day by a certain time. And it was military style. You had to make it a certain way. There could be no sheets covering. It had to be tucked in. And if you didn't, you got docked points. And it's about, again, creating this sense of structure to our lives and getting that first thing accomplished. And if that's all you did today was make your bed, that's a huge freaking win.
0: There you go. Well, Jen, I'm curious about your treatment and your path to recovery. Great segue. So I'd love to learn more about your addiction and what led to seeking a path to recovery. And then of course, the amazing work that you're doing today. But I love to get to know a little more about Jen.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you so much. A little intro about me. I'm Jen Hurst. I'm a sober coach and mom of two who lives in Northern Minnesota. We're supposed to get about 10 inches of snow in the next couple of days, which wow. is so crazy. I know. You're like, it's like mother nature's like, you know what? I just wasn't done. I have one more thing to say, <laughs> but I'm actually coming up on 10 years sober, which is really exciting. And I realized after coming out of the sober closet that people wanted to hear my story and they were interested in how I did it. And from that moment forward, it kind of created this self-improvement path that I was on and really continuing to find ways to feel better and to improve my mindset, overall health and brain health in all these different areas. Because for four years in sobriety, I wasn't getting up at 440. Hmm. I was getting up when my kids got up. I mean, granted, I had young kids. I wasn't taking care of myself. I was eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and granola bars and all of this stuff. So what I've learned, especially in the past six years, is what I now try to implement in these group coaching programs and coach women of really how to feel better in sobriety and to do this together and creating these simple habits right from the get-go to help to boost dopamine naturally and to just ease this process of making this big life change. But I really like to start sharing my story saying that no one is off limits. If you have seen my before and after photos, I always show pictures. I don't really have a lot of pictures of my addiction because I did my drinking alone, especially in the last three years. No one really saw except my husband and my parents. And it can happen to everybody. So what you see is someone smiling. I look great on my wedding day. You know, you would never think that this woman is struggling so hard inside. I was really good at hiding it. Kind of a classic perfectionist closet alcoholic. I went through it alone. I Googled and asked myself these questions. Am I an alcoholic? I took the quids, convincing myself that I'm not because I didn't match all of the boxes. (laughs) But I cared so much about what other people thought of me. And I just thought if I could get this one thing without anyone knowing how much I'm struggling, that they'll still like me and I'll still be loved because what would that do? What what would they think of me if they knew I was struggling so bad and I was drinking in secret and hiding it? But at the same time, I didn't know who I was anymore. And right. I'm really, really grateful that I was able to get this before I had kids because yeah. I know that's not the case for many women and men. And I know even After having kids, that can also lead into heavy drinking, too, to try to cope. And so as a girl, I grew up in a great home. I got good grades. I loved art. I lived in a perfectionist family where outside appearances were really important. And I felt like my parents always tried to one-up each other by what we could accomplish all the time. And our kind of motto was, we didn't really talk about it, but look good on the outside to impress other people. Yeah which is part of the reason why I didn't share my story or my sobriety until four years into it. And so growing up, I always felt like there was something wrong with me. Like I had to become someone else. I had to achieve something because who I was wasn't enough. And I still struggle with this to this day of I'm not good enough. It's a limiting belief that I have this need to achieve. I'm an Enneagram three. So it's something that I really try to work on. But if I could look good externally, then I could really make it in this world and people will love me. And even though I was a huge mess on the inside. Mm. So I had my first drink at 15. Um, I did quote unquote normal drinking throughout high school and college. It wasn't until I mean, I wasn't addicted right from the start. I actually hated the taste of alcohol. I thought it was disgusting, which is quite normal. Right. But there was a turning point in when I was 21 and I lived with some guys at the time and they, who all took Adderall and I, the, it's funny now that I think of it. Cause I said, I'm not going to do drugs. Like that's, that's, that's pushing the line. I smoked weed before. I didn't like it, but little did I know alcohol was a drug at the time. Right. And so they said, I went on a break with my boyfriend and I remembered the pain that I went through with my first and, I just did not want to feel that way. I didn't even know what to do with myself. And they said, hey, you know, take this pill. You're going to feel amazing. You're going to feel like God and you're not even going to think of it. And I said, at that point, I just didn't care. I said anything to take away what I'm feeling now. So I did it. And I felt amazing. And I said, this is the best thing that's ever happened. I dyed my hair. I stayed up all night. I said, let's do this. And then it wore off. And then the anxiety crept in. But it was from that moment that planted a seed within me that said, okay, well, I don't have to feel anything anymore. I can just take it away by drinking. So anytime life got hard, I would just drink. Or anytime I felt overwhelmed with work, I just drank. And as a classic workaholic, too, trying to prove my worth by what I could achieve, I would just drink to relax. I mean, anything I used alcohol for to self-medicate. And in turn, that just made my anxiety worse. So it really started from pain and heartbreak. And then it really creeped into anxiety. I started getting some anxiety. They classified me with panic disorder. I started having panic attacks. And then what would I do if I had anxiety? Well, I would drink because that's what I was sold. Like, drink to relax. So it was just this never-ending cycle and it just gradually got worse. And when I was thinking about it a couple of weeks ago, that was really like a 10-year progression from when I really started to notice that I had a problem of really making some bad decision, feeling regret and shame to when I actually got sober. So 2003 to 2013. And that's usually the span for most people is about a 10-year progression if you really take the time to write it out. And so from I like to really say the year leading up to my wedding, when my addiction really ramped up and when my drinking really ramped up, I was working around the clock, doing freelance full-time, planning my wedding. It was just so much and I didn't ask for help because as a perfectionist, I wanted to do it myself and I thought asking for help was a sign of weakness. And so I just drank and I started mixing Adderall with alcohol. I started taking Adderall to get things done. And it was really the day after my wedding Where I just collapsed. And little did my husband know, he had no idea what I was doing. Wow. I did it at night. I did it in secret. I started hiding my bottles. It's really like I was cheating on him. Mm. I mean, I like to think of alcohol as an ex boyfriend. Yeah. Cause I was hiding, I was secretive. I like to tell the women that's what makes it so tricky is that it's like you break up with something, but yet you see them every single day Mm. on t shirts in songs, being promoted at baseball games. So it's like you constantly are seeing their face and you have to constantly tell yourself, no. And once you know better, there's that quote from Maya Angelou, once you know better, you do better. So once I started really looking into this and reading about it and just being like, I can't believe that I fell for this. But it also gave myself some grace and compassion of, I understand why I did. And I was just doing the best that I could with the tools that I had. Mm. And so learning more about it just really helped me to give myself and to lessen that shame. So from that moment forward, after a couple of days after my wedding, and I was expected to go back to work, and I just said, I'm just freaking done. I didn't hide it anymore. I started drinking around the clock. I didn't care who saw. So my husband was like, who the hell did I marry? Who is this woman? What is going on? And so began my year and a half attempts to really actively try to understand what I was going through, going into my first AA meeting. Oh my God, that was scary. Going into my first outpatient. I started with outpatient. Okay. Talking to insurance. It was just this crazy time of start, stop, start, stop, start, stop. Going into three inpatient stays at Hazelden, eight outpatients. This was also a time where I dabbled into mouthwash and rubbing alcohol of finding other ways to get my fix that wouldn't require me to walk into a liquor store. Because I could walk into Target, and this was just the amount of shame that I felt for what I was doing, rotating liquor stores, wearing a hat on my head to cover my swollen eyes, wearing glasses to cover my swollen eyes so they couldn't see. And so walking into Target and buying a bottle of mouthwash. And so they didn't know that that was my drink of choice for the last year. That's all I drank. And I still cannot have mouthwash to this yeah, day, which my dentist funny. I know really encourages me. I'm like,
0: I can't. Oh, it's yeah. so
1: disgusting.
0: Did it affect your stomach and your appetite?
1: I, I mean, I was so malnourished. Yeah. I was just eating, you know, just to look at my diet, I was eating like a whole pizza, mm. ice cream. I do the best that I can to take care of my body today. I have put my body through so much. We all have. Yeah. And just doing my best, i not saying I don't have cake or anything like that, but I do things and I try to feed it well because when I feed it well, when I treat it well with exercise, meditation, all of those things, it responds. And it was actually able, you guys, after drinking mouthwash for well over a year, drinking rubbing alcohol, like abusing it for years, it was able to within three to four months get pregnant. And I'm like, no freaking way. That is absolutely incredible.
0: A miracle.
1: Right? And yeah. my son is like my greatest joy. He gave me the ability for my body, our bodies to do that and to actually still be standing today. I want to treat it well. I want to treat my brain well. And I just want to take care of it. I went into this year and a half thing and I had to learn the hard way. I was, I'm very stubborn. And I was like, I'm going to make this work. I'm going to fit this square peg in this round hole. And it's hmm. I swear it's going to work. And so I had to do a lot of research and lose a lot of things. As someone who got good grades, I achieved to now losing almost everything. I lost my job. I got my second DWI on February 14th of 2013. I was on the verge of losing my marriage. I was kicked out of my home. I had no money And I was calling homeless shelters and I went to my last detox day and I knew it was there that I know in AA, they call it like a spiritual awakening. It was just an aha moment. I like to call it the click Mm. where I just felt myself dying after I was taking Adderall, doing alcohol and I, my hands were going numb and I was so thin but I didn't want to tell my parents. I didn't want them to worry. I didn't want them to know what I was doing, that I was still sneaking alcohol into their home because my husband wouldn't let me into his house. And I blew a 0.38 in detox. Wow. And and that was that scared me, not with the number, with the number did scare me. But the fact that I've been doing that for well over two years of how many other times did I push it? And no one knew that I was only a detox twice. There were many times where I woke up and I had no idea what happened. I woke up to my couch destroyed and I had no idea what happened. I don't know what I did. So that really scared me. And I just said, I'm done. And I don't know what's going to happen. I had court the next day for me, DWI. I had no money, but I just said to myself, as long as you don't drink, this can't get any worse. My husband wouldn't talk to me. My parents were done with me. I called, like I said, I called homeless shelters at my chemical assessment for the last time, but I knew deep down that I was done and I didn't expect anybody to believe me. And from that moment on, everything got easier. But granted, I had a lot of crap to clean up. I had court dates, I had to go on house arrest, I had to do a day in jail, I got a simple job. Many fees to pay. I had to go into my last treatment and pay it all by myself. My parents paid for my last, which I'm incredibly grateful for. I just had to do everything on my own, but it now is on my own terms and I really wanted it. And I was ready. I was ready to do this thing and I just surrendered and gave up what was going to happen and just had faith that as long as I don't drink, everything is going to be okay. It's going to play out how it's going to play out, but at least I'm not making it worse.
0: I love that you brought up the trust and others believing us because we can't expect them to, right? No. We've put them through so much. I remember probably a year or so into recovery, one of the sort of pillars that I I still talk about and remember is when my sister and brother-in-law went on vacation and they asked me to house it. And I was starting to earn that trust back. And we can't say, you know, 10 or 20 years of of drunkenness is what we hear in in the rooms of 12-step programs, but it's the actions that we do and and we have to do esteemable things, right? So Mm -hmm. I love that you brought that up. It gets me thinking too, I'm looking at at your Instagram page, you seem to use the word reclaim. And this sounds like the point in your life where you started to reclaim it.
1: Yeah, that's why I named my coaching program over a year ago is that I just get to take my life back. Everything that alcohol took for me, you know, just my dignity and my pride and my confidence and my esteem, all of that. I've had nothing and I felt so low to the point of not even wanting to be in here, which is why I can look back 10 years ago and be like, I have no idea who I was then is so completely different than who I am today. And I know I'm not that person anymore. I know I'm not the person who I was five years ago or even a year ago, just this constant, who am I? And I've really gotten to, to listen to this of who am I? What do I really like? And knowing that it's okay to be myself. It's okay to feel shy. It's okay to be an introvert and want that time alone. It's not that I'm antisocial. I just, I feel exhausted by being around people. And I just know that about myself now. It's just, once you take away the alcohol, you really get to understand who you are, what you like, and really start to embrace that and kind of honor that. From that moment forward, I just kept putting one foot in front of the other. I kept showing up, taking ownership for my actions. I know I had to have a breathalyzer in my car for two years and do all of this community service, all of these things that you're just like, in whiskey plates, Really it humbling, so but I, it's plates. just
0: ah oh, yes, aren't it was those you? fun, you know,
1: and like just a branding on you, yeah, like hey, this person, yeah. yes, it really is a scarlet letter for those that are struggling and really need help. Of how can I shame this person even right. more? Right, it's so crazy what can happen. Like within four months, I was pregnant. Four months, I got a job back in my field of graphic design. Seven months, I was promoted. You know, in a year and a half, we bought a really nice house and I never thought that this would be my career. I just slowly, it was a slow process to reclaim my life, but I just kept taking it one thing at a time. Okay, now I have court. All right. As I know, once you live in honesty and truth and you show up and you don't have anything to hide, it's such a relief. And you just, you're like, yeah, okay, let me do. A day in jail, four months pregnant. Let me do the squat. Let me do all of those things because I'm I'm cleaning this up. And I remember when I got my breathalyzer out of my car after two years, it was just such a free moment because that was mm-hmm. one of the last things that was hanging on for my past was just now I can just shut the door on those things and then open the door to all of these new things. I was having two kids, but I lived in the sober closet. I didn't talk about it. I thought we weren't supposed to talk about it. We weren't even supposed to acknowledge people, and so I kind of carried this shame with me for four years. I didn't. I would do a post on social media on my sober anniversary, but I would hide certain people, and I won't really say what I was celebrating. But it was just a really powerful day, and so. It wasn't until I saw this random post on Facebook of this woman's transformation journey through Beach Body, which is so crazy. It was some ad. Uh, I'm like, wow, she is really muscular. And I think that's incredibly inspiring. I love women with muscles, I think yeah. that's so beautiful. And so I started following her, which I never do. I joined as a Beach Body coach because I loved fitness. It's always been a part of my life. And I joined, there was some reason that I was following her. And so I joined as a beach body coach, something I've never done. But it was through there that part of your job was to start sharing your journey. And I said, within two weeks of starting to do that, which was really awkward, I told my husband, I think it's time that I came out about my journey. And I just did what's called a coming out post. I posted it. I wrote it in three minutes because I felt like I'd been pent up, pent up, pent up all of this stuff that I just wanted to like get it all out. And it was so easy to write. I posted it. I ran into an AA meeting and I came back to so much love and encouragement. And from there, it kind of was another part of my journey was this date that I came out Mm. about this and I didn't start sharing it all the time. Like I do now, it was just these little trinkets of information, but the more I shared about it, the more engagement and messages I received from women. And so began this journey of like three to four years where I had, I don't think I'm supposed to help women lose weight. I really think I'm supposed to help them get sober. And so I just started in my inbox of like, what if I kind of rebranded sobriety in a way that makes it really motivating and fun and encouraging, and we did this together. Like, what if that could be something that it's not something that we have to feel shame and regret, even though, yes, that's part of the process, but it's something that you want to do. It's something that's really exciting and something that could open the doors to so many things. And, And so just began this process of, becoming a coach and starting with clients but really wanting this need to start coaching women in a group to help us do this together because if there's anything that you need in this process and with anything in life you need other people who are doing the same thing so let's do this and go through this together and it was through this that that's really what the magic of my groups are is this great group of women who are all in this process of Removing alcohol and also taking good care of themselves through movement, through gratitude, through reading, through just connection. And it's just kind of grown from there. It's the most amazing thing. But I never thought this would be in my life. Ever. I was like, I know I'm supposed to be doing something big. but I just don't know what that is. I think I'm supposed to be an art director for a magazine. But that wasn't changing the lives that what coaching does, being able to see someone change their life and have the light come on in their eyes and have them smile. And I just had a client say the other day of, I couldn't fathom that I could feel this good. And she's six months, seven months sober, actually, last week. And she's just like, I just feel so good. And I'm not saying sobriety is going to be amazing and and perfect, but at least you're going to be able to manage it so much better and you're going to be able to notice and truly take care of yourself and feel something you probably haven't felt since the day you started drinking.
0: I have yet to hear someone who says, "Man, I wish I was still drinking." So it will at least set you on a path that we are able to understand our meaning and and what we are here to do, and you and I have sort of realized the online recovery community just is something I wasn't expecting to add to my sort of arsenal in recovery. But yeah, you know, I felt a, a little stagnant in my twelve step work, and you know, was looking to reach out and and to be able to help to create a community to your point i think you know whatever path of recovery you choose the one constant i think is the community or surrounding your yourself with like-minded people to sort of help you along the way so it's a beautiful story i'm interested in after you started coaching where where the bigger ideas sort of started to come in the lighthouse and these larger events that you're doing
1: yeah again things, signs that kept coming into my life was, I I got so fixated on what to call my company.
0: Yeah,
1: And I heard all the time, don't, don't worry about it. I'm like, yeah, but it's got to have the right name. And I started with living zero proof, but I'm like, there's something, it just doesn't, it's not right, but I'm going to use it for now. And then I think it was a call or a, a workshop from Dean Graciosi. And I think it was from the Ed Milet, some conference that he put on, and I'd heard it before, but he had said, be the lighthouse and light the way for others. There's that quote. Wow. And then we just, I just started using that in my groups of, well, how about all of us? We're kind of like lighthouses and- A woman that I've connected and really grown close to in the group, she has a little post-it on her computer that says, reminds herself to be the lighthouse and to stand tall. And then I started getting this image of what a lighthouse represents. And that's exactly what I hope to emanate in my groups is being that light of not promoting this, but being that guiding light for those people that are still in the dark that don't know a way out, that you don't need to shout it from the rooftops unless you'd like to, but just being that present and being that example for other people and lighting that way. So then- people just start to notice of how you carry yourself. Like when you go into a social situation, you stand tall. When you respond to someone, if they're asking you why you don't drink, you stand tall, you stand, you smile, you're confident in your decision. And just like a lighthouse started getting into these other metaphors of lighthouses are firm and There's going to be certain waves and certain ripples and certain urges that come your way and try to tear you down, but a lighthouse stands firm in their choice and they own this choice. It just really went from there of, I think I'm going to call this lighthouse sobriety because that's really what I hope to instill in others and their word for 2023 is light. Hmm. How can I be that light today for my kids, for my husband, for this person or that person? How can I be that light? And so that kind of just transpired. and then. Certain things, the retreat, I'm hosting a retreat in July that was brought on last year because in the groups, we really get to know each other. I only allow a certain number of women in because I really want to get to know you and I want you to get to know the other women. If it's a big group like 200 or 300 women, it's way overwhelming. There's too much going on. But if it's a small, intimate group, you're going to feel a little bit more comfortable to share. And that's what I hope. And so through this, we've garnered friendships. And I think one of the great things about COVID is that it really got us to utilize the Zooms and different ways to connect virtually. It makes connecting so much easier. And if you use it in such a powerful way from social media to Zoom to Marco Polo, all of those things, it is an incredible tool to help you stay sober. But if we can't meet in person, well, what else can we do? And so I tried to create this engagement virtually for women across the world. Let's implement. And Marco Polo
0: has been huge in my groups. I don't know if you know what that is. I I mean, I've heard of it, but but, I don't use it. Can you give me a brief kind of synopsis?
1: You guys, it's so (sighs) big. It's, uh, It's a video chat app completely free. And I saw Jen Pouch using it in one of her groups and she had talked about it. And I said, oh, OK, maybe I'm going to try this because I had run a couple groups, but I'm really I'm missing. I really want them to feel connected and and boost that community engagement. And so we started using it's a video chat app. You can record yourself, which is really awkward to see yourself on camera. But I think it's really important, especially for women and maybe men too, but to really become comfortable with seeing yourself and becoming okay and accepting how you look. And it's also a great form of therapy. So they connect and they record usually short videos of what's going on or else I'll give them a prompt like, hey, introduce yourself Answer these questions just to kind of get the ball rolling. Mm. And a lot of them record while they're going through a craving. Then the other women offer support. Some of them just do a check in. And it's just a way to get really get to know someone without ever meeting them. Wow. And so many of these women have fostered really close friendships. It's such a great tool. And you can watch the videos at any time. You don't have to like be on, you can watch them at any time. So through there, I realized, and I, what I do in my groups, I have you know, 80 to 100 women in my groups, no more than 100. But then I break them up into like 10 to 15 women per group. So you have smaller groups. So it's not so overwhelming. And so once we really start to get talking, we really wanted to go on a retreat. We got together and it was such a great weekend last year. And then now this year, we're going to go to Denver. It's at a resort. There's almost 40 women going. So it's growing that way. And just a place where we can move our bodies Fitness is a really big aspect in my membership and what I'm about because it has so many benefits for your sobriety and your mental health. And there's going to be yoga and really good food. There's going to be a happy hour by Groovy, which I'm really excited about. Oh, I
0: love Groovy. Yes.
1: Right. It's yeah. my favorite, favorite and so a cool. wine. Yeah. Yeah. And lots of downtime. So poolside, I want this to be really relaxing. A lot of us are moms. So just being away from our kids is we just want silence and not to have to do or be anywhere, right? Yeah, yeah, We have meetings in the membership, live workouts together. So I'm really about doing things together. Uh, you can say you're going to work out, but now if you have a live class, which you can keep your video on or off, you don't have to show your face. I just care that you move your body in right. some way. So just trying to create this engagement and these different ways that we can hang out virtually when we can't in person. and again, just making this fun and exciting. And we all follow these five habits that I'm really about and check in with each other. So yeah, it's been, it's been great. I just launched it a couple weeks ago. So, but it's taking off and it's really, really exciting.
0: That's so exciting. It sounds a lot like you're about the doing and the action. We can say, 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 but it comes down to action and actually doing it. And it sounds like that's a focus for you. Yeah. So.
1: And I listen. And a lot of the things that I've created is been requests from the community of, hey, my, my friend recommended this. Hey, I think a journal would be fantastic because I talk about, OK, let's transfer our thoughts on the paper. Let's yeah. get all of this clutter in our head. And so I created a journal and a planner for us. OK, yes. I, I don't like looking at things virtually. I really believe in printing things off old school so you can write on it and highlight. So I created workbooks and I really try to take feedback and request feedback of how to do these groups better. Cause in turn, then whatever is going to help someone stay sober and whatever they need, by all means, I want to do it. So, uh, and it's a daily thing of, Hey, someone actually just had a, idea on our last call of what if every single month for a habit tracker, you made a habit based on that monthly topic. I'm like, that's a great idea. I'm going to implement that. So beautiful, <laughs> taking the advice and then implementing and just making adjustments along the way.
0: Jen, I'll link everything in today's show notes, but what's the best way for for folks to connect with you online or get more information about all this goodness? <laughs>
1: Yes. So my Lighthouse Sobriety membership is now open for women. So you can go to my website. It's joinlighthousesobriety.com for all the information on that. I also have a group coaching program launching. That's my signature program called Lit 66 that starts June 5th. And then I really like to hang out on Instagram. That's my main platform at Jen Lee Hurst. So you can check me out and see what I'm up to on there. I also have a free Facebook group for women. If you're just wanting to dip your toe in, we meet every single Tuesday, completely free and uh, a chance to hang out together that way.
0: Thank you so much, Jen. I always like to leave the listeners with something tangible or a takeaway from our conversation. So if someone's still struggling, what's a focus, a thing or two that they can do today to maybe start on their journey or put one foot in front of the other?
1: I really like to tell my women, like, what's the next right move you can make? And what James Clear, who wrote Atomic Habits, is what's how can you improve? What's one thing that how you can be one percent better and like making your bed. Can you do that? Yeah, Can you think of One thing that could help your sobriety in some way, and one thing to ask yourself is, what would my best sober self do today? What would my best self do? Well, maybe it's to drink a glass of water. Like, keep it simple. And my greatest thing to help you, especially if you're struggling, and something I did at Hazleton, is just get outside, get some fresh air, and go on a walk. It's one of the most Mm. powerful tools to implement right away. And you always feel good after, because chances are there's a lot of feelings coming up, a lot of shame and anxiety. And one of the best things that you can do is to just move your body, get some vitamin D and to help you process all of the stuff that's going on, it'll help release that. And so maybe that's my biggest piece of advice is get outside for a 10 minute walk. 20 minutes is great, but I promise you, you're not going to regret it.
0: I agree. The sunshine does wonders.
1: Absolutely. And you guys, so yeah, it's supposed to snow 10 inches, eight inches, whatever. <laughs> but when it was like 50 degrees and sunny here last week,
0: yeah,
1: I was like a whole new person. I yes. thought life is fantastic. It was a sense of euphoria that no alcohol mm. could ever bring is the simple things of the sun shining and the birds chirping. Yes. And I know it sounds corny, but you miss this if you're numbing the good stuff and the bad stuff. You're If you're numbing the bad, you're also numbing the good things and you're not noticing, oh my God. And then I asked myself, well, what if I just lived here, lived in a warm climate the whole time? But then I said, well, then I wouldn't experience what it feels like to get that first sun Mm, and that first sense of warmth. Then you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. But if I just lived in that climate, it would just be second nature and I wouldn't even notice it. Like, yeah, Yeah. it's another 70 degree day. It's like sunny, never rains
0: a but great point m- we have to have some bad to make the good good right
1: absolutely you would need that contrast just like with emotions you need that contrast. you wouldn't know the good unless you experienced the bad it just really made me realize and appreciate where i live and the brutal winters here
0: <laughs> that it.
1: also make way to that euphoria of man that first sunshine and warm that sunshine warm sober like Catherine gray always says so, yes yeah
0: Jen Hurst, it was worth the wait, my friend. So powerful, so relatable. Let me be hopefully the first to say congratulations on 10 years, a decade. You're doing beautiful work. Thank you so much for your time today.
1: I haven't had someone say that. So thank you. I really, really appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much, Jen. We'll talk soon. Thanks so much for listening today, friend. Hopefully you heard something that resonates with you. And if we help just one person, our job is done. Make sure you check today's show notes for all the information discussed in today's episode and how to connect with our guests. Until next Wednesday, try your best not to drink and be good to yourself. Bye, everyone.